0: <laughs> German for the guy from Switzerland. Nice. That's hilarious. <laughs>
1: that is... Or the Swiss. However the Swiss. <laughs> the Swiss. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> Sauced on Beer Burn Barbecue. I'm your host, Kevin, joined here by Alex. Hey, Kevin. What's up?
2: I'm really excited about tonight.
1: Yeah, tonight's pretty awesome. We are uh, on location again, um, and on location means not in my basement. So anytime <laughs> we're not in the basement, that's always a good time. Yeah, it's
2: always a plus.
1: Um, we are here at Hopskeller with Matt. Matt, I must have you say your last name again. It just blanked. <laughs> Schweizer. <laughs> Schweizer. Matt Schweizer. He practiced Matt, that ten I'm, times. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's great being with you guys. <laughs> um, and Matt's going to kick us out now because we can't remember his last name. And Matt, thanks for having us here tonight. Um, we're super excited about uh, coming to hang out with you. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for putting this together. It was great to see you at Heritage Fest. Yeah, I'm glad this all worked out as quickly as it did. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. an awesome turnaround and all that. So, Matt, you are the, if I get your title correct, the head brewer correct. for Hop mm-hmm. brewing out of Waterloo, Illinois. Correct. So... I mean, first of all, we're sitting here in your brewery and bar area. And, I mean, like, this is probably one of the coolest breweries I've ever ever been in. <laughs> it's mean, beautiful. It's it's gorgeous and all that. And we'll kind of get talking about that in a little bit. But, Matt, tell us how you got your start in beer. Well, it kind of goes back to when I was about
0: 21, maybe 20, possibly. I, uh, <laughs> we was don't studying. condone anything yeah. illegal no, of, of course not. I mean, no one, no one drinks <laughs> until they're 21. So right. It's fine. <laughs> no, but... Uh, I had uh, studied abroad in England uh, when I was 20 and 21, and it's actually oddly enough some of my first exposure to beer. Um, I really had not drank beer or anything like that um, too much before I was 21. I was more of a sweet red wine and raspberry vodka kind of guy myself. Mm. <laughs> and so uh, if it tasted like candy, that's where I was at. Oh, that's Raschetta
2: uh, too. Yeah, <laughs>
0: so, a little Midori. And uh, so some of the first uh, beers that I had in any. In any real volume uh were English beers and some of the stuff that you could get over in Europe and this was back in two thousand six. Um, I'd come back home, and there really wasn't all that much available um at the time, not in two thousand and six. It's a lot different now, of course, thankfully, but uh it was really, really difficult uh to find anything that that would match what I was finding over there and so that kind of at least put the bug in my head a little bit about the idea of brewing. And uh, when I moved out to Oregon uh, for school and to um, teach as a graduate teaching fellow out at the University of Oregon in Eugene, that's when I really started brewing quite a bit. Um, And that really exposed me to a lot of the Northwestern stuff going on. This was around 2008, I guess, 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. And that's when their craft boom was really, really hitting solid. I mean, Portland was just fantastic. Eugene was fantastic. Um, Everywhere in Oregon, uh, breweries were popping up in Washington, and uh, this is a great, great thing to be a part of. And uh, so I was brewing a lot for myself, brewing for my fellow classmates, and uh, just kind of kept the hobby up while I was, when I I came back home uh, to take a high school teaching job here back in St. Louis. Well, in Waterloo, really.
1: That's crazy. I mean, you probably were the most popular guy on campus when you're, uh, when you're doing your homebrewing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, those history grad students know how, to, know how to throw a party,
2: that's for sure. So
1: you went to England and you tried a bunch of English beers mm-hmm. and all that. What kind of makes an English beer an English beer? I know because like Alex and I, we're big porters and stouts and all that. And that like, that's mm-hmm. what I think of when I think of like an, an English beer, something very dark and all that. Is that mm-hmm. right? So I mean, they
0: obviously the English beers kind of run the whole uh, run the whole gamut. Along as you have your obviously your very very kind of light, more sessionable uh, bitters and things like that. As you mentioned, the porters and the stouts are fantastic. Um, I tend to think, of course, on a technical aspect, English grains, English hops, English yeast, um, English water profiles. If you're going for that kind of thing, uh, depending on the city, uh, that of course would define an English beer in part. But there's also um, a philosophy behind it. There's a dedication to balance, um, a dedication, I can't stand the word sometimes, but for lack of a better one, to sessionability. Um, you know, that there's, there's a, the, the drinking culture over there uh, very much is about being at a bar uh, for a rather long time, having quite a few, um, still being okay, totally okay, driving home, walking home, whatever it might be. And really making sure that it's not completely taxing on your palate or your liver. And so there's a dedication to moderation there that I think um, sort of pervades most English beers. Uh, even the barley wines are relatively tame by American barley wine standards, which I love equally as well. But, um, you know, you're not going to see them quite as hoppy or even necessarily quite as alcoholic for that matter. Um, but that, that's, that, that's where I would, what I would say in a nutshell.
2: So that's really cool. Um, so I, I'm always curious to ask this question to someone who I, I, I didn't, Touch beer for a long, long time. My experience has always been my family drank Bud Light, mm-hmm. and just the smell, like I got, I, I didn't like it, I, and that's what I thought all beer was until Kevin came along and he forced me to try so many different kinds. <laughs> I, I forced him, yeah, yes, forced, yeah, forced him to try. I'm all sure right, it was we'll awful every <laughs> every way. <Yeah>. Uh, but <laughs> so what? What about it? About the beers that you tried there, really made you like okay, yeah, I actually like this. Honestly, in in, in a big way, not having
0: much to base anything else off of probably helped a lot. I mean, I could certainly see that if I had grown up, um, say, with lighter lagers, that would have been a much different taste. Um, you know, going from lagers to ales is usually a pretty big jump for, for a lot of people. Um, starting out on, on ales, and of course, I mean, there were definitely lagers over there, too, Heineken and Carlsberg and things like that, and so, and Cronenberg. I mean, so, um, but really starting out on those ales and having easy access to a lot of ales um, again, with that lack of really knowing what a beer should taste like, um, I think actually helped a lot in that regard. Mm-hmm. I actually remember uh, having my first Hefeweizen uh, in Germany. It was that Francis Conner, and it, it just blew my mind. You know, That actually kind of got me uh, liking some German beers as well, but just that whole trip just really opened my eyes to lots and lots of different styles very quickly um, in a way that, again, back in, in 2006 might have been a little tough to do state side unless you had really consciously sought it out. Mm-hmm. And that would have been tough for any 21-year-old, really, uh, to really know what you're getting yourself
1: into or what you're buying or things like that.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs>
1: so, Matt, I want to talk to you about Hopskeller. Like, all right. <laughs> this is... I mean, I'm just amazed by like this whole building, this whole thing. So, let's just start at the beginning. Yeah. What is Hopskeller? Like, why the name sure.
0: and all that? So... The name, I, I wish I had a more, uh, a more romantic story for the name, but <laughs> here we go. So, uh, at the time that I was coming up with a name, um, you know, my, my partners and I knew that pretty much this was going to be the building. And traditionally, in Germany, uh, a bar either in the basement of or adjacent to a town hall... Right over there. Well, no. the courthouse in that case um, was a Rathskeller. And I didn't want to use Rathskeller for two reasons. Uh, one, I don't really do much in the way of German beers. That'd be a little jarring uh, thematically. And two, of course, Rathskeller's already a brewery. So if I wanted to, that's out. Yeah. And uh, so my, uh, <laughs> my mom and I were standing around in my parents' kitchen just saying syllables uh, that had either beer-related things um, or either playing off of either Reth or Skeller, and uh, ended up with Hopskeller. It rolls off the tongue, and a quick Google search confirmed that no one else was using it. So here we
1: are. That's brilliant. <laughs> that is so amazing. Like, I mean, it's just it's a fun name. Yeah. I mean, that's super fun. Um,
0: Every now and then people ask if it's a, if it's a family name, and... Like to say, to joke and say, "Yep,
1: my name is uh, a <laughs> yeah, That's it, that's, that's it. That's it. You can get that legally changed. I mean, yeah, you were a... telling us the story of your last name already. Um, I mean, that's a pretty interesting story. But I mean, yeah. if you wanted to, it's true. So I have to
0: look into that. I know. I know a good courthouse right across yeah, the right, street do it. Yeah. out the window at the courthouse. No reason
1: right here. not. Um, tell us a little bit about this building because this is. I mean. I feel like it's like turn-of-the-century type building. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's very cozy. It's what I would picture in, like you were saying, an English bar or a German bar, you know, clo- like a colonial-style kind of bar. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the building? Yeah, for sure. So I
0: guess kind of going, going way back, I mean, what, you, what you're seeing right now, really but the only thing that's original to the building uh, would be these four brick walls that's right here kind of in front of us. Okay. Um, this, uh, building was built, uh, this part of the house, rather, was built in about 1853, 1854. Uh, it is pre-Civil War. It's one of the relatively small number of pre-Civil War buildings, uh, in Waterloo, still standing. Uh, a lot of them are either raised, or they were log cabins, or things like that. Uh, and it was originally built as a, uh, as a single-family home. Uh, four, four rooms, two stories. Um, so, four on the bottom, four on the top. And, uh... As time had gone on uh, throughout the 1870s and 80s, and there's, actually, there's, a, there's a beam downstairs with some some signatures on it that's really cool, but uh, as time went on, and so the story goes, uh, the husband and wife who, who owned it as they had um, children, daughters uh, specifically, um, as those daughters would get married, sort of like the starter house would be building a wing off the house. And so... If, when we, if and when we go downstairs, uh, you'll see a little shift in the brick um, sort of to the west of the building. And that was a wing. That was built in about 1872. And if you were outside, you probably noticed the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. sitting right over here. That actually was a wing as well, uh, built in about, I think, 1910 or so. Mm-hmm. And so it stayed as a as a, as a single-family home, and actually a rather large one if you think about the entire dimension of the house at that point. And... Uh, It changed hands a couple times in the 1910s, 1920s. Uh, As we get into the Great Depression, a lot of those wings turn into uh, boarding houses, apartments and things like that, Um, offices on this second floor. Uh, The second floor looked nothing like this, obviously, uh, at the time. And uh, before it became Hubskeller, it was uh, was an antique store. Hmm. Uh, Very Victorian. Um, And you can definitely tell there were multiple living quarters, uh, lots and lots of little rooms, uh, things like that, and uh so um I guess we would have started demolishing maybe in twenty oh crud twenty fourteen twenty fifteen somewhere around there I want to say was it twenty fourteen my gosh
1: doesn 't that seem like it was so long ago
0: yeah, it just all kind of blurs at this point it's <laughs> it 's been a while, but uh yeah when they say it 's going to take about three years to get a to get a brewery going, they 're not kidding, but uh one of, my, uh, one of my business partners uh, in this, John Gallagher, was uh, responsible for transforming this into what we see right here. Um, he was using a lot and a lot of uh, reclaimed materials. So, for example, we're looking at this really cool, rusted-looking wrought iron grate. Uh, that's actually the uh, original grating to the old McKinley Bridge.
1: Oh, man. Okay.
0: Uh, you might remember they they remodeled it in the early 2000s. Well, all that all that old cast iron went somewhere. And what's kind of cool too is that it's so old; um, it's it predates rivets. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, they're, they're really not there. Um, a lot of the uh, let's see, the bar is made largely of, of doors. Um, all and- built all built here on site. It's all reclaimed uh from from old homesteads old uh farms
1: here in the the county uh some really really cool stuff going on in here and i should tell our listeners that we're sitting up on the second floor but the second floor has a balcony that you Mm -hmm. can look straight down into the bar and this bar is massive (laughs) i mean yeah he did a nice job with oh my goodness it's so cool i mean i need this in my basement (laughs) do you think megan would let me do that
2: we can just build it. She doesn't go down there that often. And yeah. Just expand uh, the basin <laughs>
1: by about 20, 20 feet or so, and uh, it'll be just <laughs> and fine. Yeah. Bit, but. <laughs> I mean, we could just do it and then ask for forgiveness later. There you go. So, I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, so, but you had another big event happen in 2016. 16, yeah. What, what was that big event?
0: So, in one of the uh, bigger sad trombone moments of my life, <laughs> we had. Uh, <laughs> Uh, basically one month of the day uh, we had a pretty large uh, kitchen fire um, in the brewery and so, or in the brew pub rather and uh, uh, yeah we had been open for a month I think the, the official opening date for Hopsculler was September 23rd of 2016 and the night of September 22nd into the morning of September 23rd um, we had a, basically a slow smoldering fire that very suddenly became not slow smoldering uh, right at about 7 or 8 in the morning on that Sunday morning wow. um, pretty big fire uh, Waterloo, Columbia and Redbud Fire Departments uh, were called in for it so and then you know with um, Maystown and Valmeyer on standby I believe and so it was a, it was a pretty big fire it took, uh, took a few hours to really put out and ultimately, um, that shut us down for 10 days shy of a year. Uh, pretty major. Now, uh, one of the things I, I said how this this brick wall over here is the end of the original house. Everything beyond that is, is new construction. Um, the fire started in the kitchen and uh, just completely annihilated that middle section. Got about a third of the brewery, totaled out the brewery equipment. Uh, that, was, that was kind of a big one. And uh, in here was uh, smoke and and water damage, primarily. It was about four or five feet of standing water down in the basement between uh, what the firefighters had put in and what the sprinklers had put in. Uh, The roof collapsed. Um, If you see kind of out in these windows, these are new AC units, but those big AC units uh, were similarly sized. And as the roof got weaker and weaker, those fell through, uh, collapsing the roof. And... uh, yeah, that was pretty intense, um, particularly so because my apartment's right behind us. Um, and uh, that kind of meant I was either itinerant or living with mom and dad for, mm-hmm. for quite a while, which was
2: a learning experience for, for everyone involved. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> wow. Well, I, I think there's more subtle ways to get publicity when you start a, be- uh, start yes, a bar. But. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's nuts. So going back a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, you decide that making beer is more fun than teaching kids, uh, (laughs) which I totally agree with. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, And then you come up with a name. Mm -hmm. You start Hopskeller. What was your initial and potentially current vision going in, and what were some of your goals? Wow. Okay. So –
0: to be very clear for, for all my my students listening, uh, I actually really loved teaching. Uh, uh, the school I was at here in uh, uh, Waterloo, uh, Jabot Catholic High School, was was a phenomenal school to teach at. And uh, you know, I don't say that just because they might be listening. Mean, truly, I, I, I truly <laughs> for sure. I say loved, that to give yeah, Kevin yeah. credit. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> of course, <Yeah>. of <laughs> course, <laughs> I get that. I get trust me, I get that all the time. Just like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah but this beats teaching. It's yeah. a great job. <laughs> and uh, so, no, it was. Um, it's actually a very hard decision at first, I think, uh, and it's actually kind of ties into what you were asking about the original vision. I think the original vision was actually quite a bit smaller than this, um, in a lot of ways. Um, at some point, I guess I had deluded myself into thinking I could do this and keep getting my doctorate and keep teaching. And uh, as you know, how it is with these things, it just it, does, it doesn't work like that at all. Um, I stopped taking Ph.D. classes probably about a year into the planning process for this, it became kind of clear that between, as, as this was becoming more and more of a, of a full-time job, properly speaking, kind of that had to fall by the wayside. And uh, once we once we got closer and closer to, to opening, it became very clear, like, there's no way. You know, there's no way that teaching and this is going to work out. Um, you know one of my you know one of my partners put it very starkly but i think in a really nice way that you know you've got you've got three things right now you've got teaching you've got the brewery and you have your mental health and well-being and you're at a junction right now where you can take care of two of those
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> you
0: no know? and uh and no one wanted to see Sacrificing mental health and well-being to try to juggle these two, because the practical effect is now I'm not teaching the way I want to, and this isn't being addressed the way it needs to. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in 2015,
1: I, I resigned and went to this full-time. I imagine. I mean, I know as a teacher, like that's not a decision you make lightly or anything no. like that. So no. I know you know <laughs> that conflicting kind of course of view, but. As a teacher, I know you owning a bar helps us <laughs> teachers out quite a bit. Yes, yes, <laughs> so it does. Really, you're helping out a whole bunch of people.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so going into that, what what were some of your initial goals, and and how's it going since then? Wow. Um, yeah,
0: I guess the the initial goal, like I said, I think the the vision dream that at least you know, I'm not going to speak for for. Um, all my partners, but um, certainly the the dream and vision that I had was a lot smaller. Um, now what's cool is I'm still small enough to where I can be making all the things I'd want to be making. Um, you know, there's not really that pressure to do massive, very large, um, very quick and easy to make uh, kind of stuff. You know, you can still kind of play around with, uh, with a 10-barrel system. Um, but again, I did imagine it quite a bit smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, I think initially there wasn't much of a plan for food at all, which is, I'm really glad we changed on that because the food is pretty fantastic. I Uh, saw the pictures of the pizza. Yeah. Oh my
1: goodness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That, uh, that wood fired oven does really nice. And uh, the staff does a fantastic job with uh, putting all that together. Uh, The bar was a little more, um, well, the vision was a little more restrained, but I think uh, uh, the bar work—the bar itself—works out really well um, in terms of you know the cocktails that we're selling and the the alcohol that we're selling on top of the beer. Um, in a very real sense, I mean, it is a full brew pub, I think maybe in my in my head, you know, back when I'm 22 or 23 and thinking, oh, it'd be great to have a brewery. I think the vision was very much more like a taproom, mm-hmm. um, and of course, that has that has grown in a rather different way but I think all
1: for the best ultimately Um, there's no doubt about that I think that's cool because like it gives I know like Alex and I we've always kind of been like we want to help people find something that they love you know Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you love beer if you love bourbon or if you love you know barbecue but I think you guys give a three-faceted thing to people to come here. I mean, if you're into the beer, go get some beer. If you're into the mixed drinks, you know, you've got those. And then the food, I mean, that looks just incredible. My father-in-law raves about it. So, (laughs) uh, I mean, we're definitely planning a trip back here. Oh, Uh, for sure. But let's jump into the beer a little bit. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You want to tell us... What kind of beers do you have on tap? Uh, What are some of your favorites to brew? And maybe kind of get into the process. So if you want to, however you want to tackle that behemoth of a question. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: wow. So, um, wow, let me think about this. So I will say, um, you know, we asked a little bit about, um, you know, kind of before going on this, like, you know, what would, like, the flagship beer be uh, as far as,
2: Mm-hmm.
0: uh we consider it, and certainly by by sales the the raspberry ale is a huge one uh, it 's a huge beer for us um, you know it 's done up pretty lightly um, and it 's very crisp and I think year round it hits a lot of it hits a lot of different customers uh it hits the kind of people who want something nice and tart a little sweet um, out in the heat. Um, it's actually hitting some wine drinkers pretty well. Um, people who, you know, they really have never had a craft beer. That tends to be a big go-to. Now, some of the other ones that I've done have kind of made uh, they've they've sort of become that bridge beer. We can get into that in a sec, but um, you know, that was, at least again, until we really kind of got going, the raspberry ale was always the big bridge beer for that. It's the one that people are buying mostly by pitcher. It's not too heavy. It's you know, you can drink quite a bit of it and mm-hmm. be, be rather all right. Um, as far as my own personal favorites and where my palate is, um, and maybe even a little bit of sentiment as well. Um, my two favorites would be the Northern English Brown and Cascadia, which is a Northwestern style, hoppy American Amber Ale. And I like those two for a couple reasons. Um, the brown ale I just really, really like. I tend to like darker maltier stuff myself, um, but when I'm in a hoppy mood, this you know that uh, Cascade is kind of right where I'm at. It's not over the top, it's not um, too subdued, and those are two of my earliest homebrew recipes. Well. At their core, they are. Obviously, they've gone and done through some uh, through some changes. They were actually pretty atrocious for the first year or so that I made them. <laughs> but, um, you know, they are sort of the first two that I really tried to tackle. And they've been the two that have been with me the longest. They were the first two to win awards in homebrewing competitions. And so those two in particular have a really close place to my heart um, in that sense.
1: So let's kind of talk about yeah. this process. Yeah. How do you come up with it? Cause like you were saying that you know you're a craft brewery so Mm -hmm. like you get to do what you want to do i mean and i think that's the cool part because like some places that we've been to it's like we have these five beers and we're just going to do these five beers but you get to experiment so how do you come up with these beers what what drives you to that so i guess the
0: again we can kind of talk about sort of the the mechanics of it and sort of how it actually goes but i think uh Taking a couple steps back and starting a little more abstract um, is really kind of fun because obviously what begins it all is is designing the recipe. You know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Um, You know, what kind of balance are you looking for? Um, What is missing in the portfolio? You know, just from, from what people have said... Um, from what I've noticed, from what the staff has noticed, you know, is there is there a need? Is there a void that's not being filled? Um, and then from there, you know, what do what do people tend to like? What do I tend to like? And again, you know, if I have this chance to do something that I've never done before, you know, let's make it fun. <laughs> you know, let's let's do something kind of kind of cool. And so you put all that together, and you can usually kind of narrow it down to, okay, I need something sort of lighter, but, but this and that. And then, honestly, it's a lot and a lot of reading. I think I'm just going to show my history nerd side here for a sec. That's I think, all right. Uh, we, yeah. we love, yeah. I mean,
1: we're very much for the history and all that, so you go yeah. ahead, you go ahead. I
0: think uh, I might be, be misquoting it here a little bit, but I think Napoleon said that every, every great military campaign begins in the library. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity to that, that, um, you know, doing a ton and a ton of reading, it's, it's, it's one thing to simply see the parameters of a style and say, okay, well, these are, these are the numbers that I have to hit, but there's a whole other aspect to it. You know, what was the historic context in which this was made? What was the drinking culture like at the time this was made? Um, really, really trying to get into, uh, the spirit, if you will, of that beer, and they all have histories, they all have stories and it's really tough I think to truly nail down that style if you don't know that going in and so you know immersing yourself in that and uh, really trying to get a feel for for again that spirit I think is is actually takes quite a bit of time um, and then from there of course it's, it's making you know what kind of Ingredients do you need to procure for this? Um, some of these beers can get a little bizarre in, uh, in the ingredients. Um, and if you're going for, say, like let's take, I don't know, Cascadia or the High Desert Pale Ale, you know, these are beers that in one way, shape, or form I very much want to embody the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I actually lean pretty heavily on a uh, farmer maltster I know out there for pretty much all the grain for those beers and you know i'm a firm believer that where the grain comes from matters i'm a firm believer that where the hops come from matters um the yeast to an extent as well i'm a firm believer that the water matters you know if you're going to try a, a english beer or a historic beer as best as possible try to approximate that with all the caveats you know that you know maybe they were cutting it with distilled water or boiling or something like that but again really, really honing in on what it is about that location, um, about that context that you want to get into, I think is super important. And after the ingredients are made, of course, then it's just simply the brewing process. And I think the coolest thing about starting as a home brewer and then going to this is that functionally it is the exact same process. Um, In fact, in a lot of ways it's easier the cleaning's a pain in the rear end. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say as I think about 90% of my time is spent cleaning, but uh you know the process itself is 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 very very intuitive. I'm not a I'm not a gearhead by any stretch of the imagination and I saw the manufacturers go through this one time and that's all it took, you know. At some point the liquid has to get from point A to point B and there's it's just got to get there. And so uh all the, all the grain here is milled on site. Most breweries are going to be that way. Um, there aren't that many. They're going to be getting pre-ground or pre-cracked uh, grain. Uh, the brewing system that I use is a... It's very English style in a lot of ways. Uh, single infusion mash uh, with a mash-out. Very classic Scottish, actually, uh, setup, And a lot of English beers do that as well. So not, no real bells and whistles. Um, not much in the way of automation wish there was a little more, but uh, yeah, pretty much everything's going to be a, a single infusion mash with that mash out. Um, then, of course, you get to your boil. You're boiling down that that extract from the grain. That's when you're adding your hops. You might add some other things in there as well, but generally that's where the hops are going to get added. And the hops as well, and you, I'm sure, you, I know you know this, and uh, I know most of your listeners do as well, but the hops themselves can layer flavors. And so some of the best IPAs that you're going to taste have this kind of opening cascade of of hop flavors and aromas. And so so this is a degree of control that you can have on that end. Um, So, of course, in the grain composition, in the hop additions. And then it goes right on over to the fermenter. And at that point, my work is essentially done for a while, and the yeast work begins, at which point it ferments. Um transfer it, condition it, carbonate it, keg it, and then drink it.
2: It's my favorite part right <laughs> there. Yeah, it is, yeah it, is, starting... it is by far the best part. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks for going through that. Um <laughs> it's you no know, it can be from what we've seen and heard, you know, a a fairly straightforward process, mm-hmm. but hearing it um from somebody who does it all the time and just <laughs> You can hear a personal touch there, which I think is really cool. Thank you. Um, and we'll just have to um, come back and try some so we can see if we can taste that personal touch too. So, um, now that you've been doing this a while, mm-hmm. kind of a, a two prong question. Uh, what is My favorite number of prongs? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the most challenging part of operating a brewery and what is the most fun part of it
0: i would say the most challenging part um, you know in addition to the brewery side of things uh, you know my responsibilities obviously extend onto the operation side as well Um, it is a lot to to keep track of and um, coming into it fairly green in that sense you know being basically I think uh, basically a a sharp person helps um, but there is a lot of moving parts and uh, you know the brewing side is manageable uh, and pretty pretty straightforward and but there's a lot of other stuff that you know I'm glad that I'm learning I'm glad that I'm doing um, you know the advertising the social media payroll taxes like you know there's <laughs> there there are a lot of other dimensions to it uh, as well that uh, like I said, it, it's all been a very big learning experience um, I'm glad that I'm doing it I think I'm a better person for having done it um, but that is, that is definitely a challenging aspect to this um, which again occupies a lot of my time as well, uh, for sure uh, the most rewarding aspect actually kind of goes into that like Working at it, doing that grind, but then seeing the results, um, seeing people enjoying themselves, um, seeing people come here from actually across the country. I've had people come here, uh, friends from England, you know, it's, it's, it's a great wow. feeling uh, to see people here having fun, enjoying themselves, uh, making their own Memories here, and and you know this place becoming important to a very large group of people. Uh, the kinds of people who you meet as a result of it, you know, other brewers, you guys, photographers. Um, you know, there's this this larger community, not just within brewing, but of course everything around that. Um, and they're just fascinating people. You know, they're just absolutely fascinating people, and it's really hard to put a price on that. It's really hard to put an amount on that, but, uh, man, that's definitely worth something, uh, waking up for every day.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sounds great.
1: I think that's our big thing too. It's like, we've always been about let's create a community and all that kind of stuff with this Mm -hmm. podcast. And I think that's awesome to hear you say that as well. Like this is your community. You're, I mean, and, I've seen reading articles and all that kind of stuff about your bree. Your community of Waterloo is so supportive of, like, you and all that kind of Absolutely stuff. Absolutely amazing. It's so cool yeah. to see um, just as a town and all that kind of stuff. And then what you want to do and all that. I mean, that's awesome. I think that's a great idea. Uh, it's a, that's such a passion driver. You know, I think that's that fuel that you get and keeps you going. So,
0: Yeah, and if you don't mind, just a little... Quick little thing about Waterloo. I have to. I have to plug yeah, no, the city for sure. Um, you know the number. The number of, of businesses that have gone in has just been just just astronomical, and you know the number of, of owner operators opening these places is really cool. And what's been really great for me is seeing just how closely and how well all of us work together. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, Stubborn Germans right across the street, and we do. You know, we've done collaboration beers. You know, we do tastings together. Um, you know, it's a dynamite couple. You know, Chris and Tammy who who run that. Um, you know, we've done quite a bit together. Uh, we are both on the the board of the Southern Illinois Beer Trail together. And then you know, you go over and uh, not quite in Waterloo, but just right up the street, practically. You know, with Stumpy Spirits, one of the few. Grain to Glass yeah. Distilleries in the country. Actually, you know, we're doing a whiskey made out of my brown ale right now, okay. and you know, all these shops, um, all the stores and restaurants. We we all help each other. Um, not only is is the brewing community really neat, but but Waterloo itself has something very, very, very distinct, and uh, I don't think you find that too often.
2: <laughs> no, I don't think so either. That sounds. I mean, just businesses coming together and not just trying to steal customers from each other. Exactly. I mean, the, the growth you get from collaborations like that is, and in my opinion, huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's really neat. And I think that a whiskey made from brown, brown ale is even neater. So I'm going to have to come back and try that one too.
0: Listening to this week's episode. If you're interested in seeing what beer, bourbon, and barbecue was up to before we started a podcast, you can see all the exciting adventures on Instagram at beer underscore bourbon underscore BBQ. Make sure you subscribe to stay up to date on the show and our adventures outside of podcasting. Be sure to check out our cool shirts and stickers available on our website, shopbeerbourbonbbq.com.
1: So, I see a wall down here, a whole mm-hmm. bunch of medals and all that kind of stuff. Um, tell us about those so. <laughs> yeah those are uh some of the some of the medals that uh that
0: I had won while home brewing uh, One of the neat things about that is those metals actually reflect the homebrew versions of pretty much every one of the standard lineups hmm. uh, here at Hopskeller. again, starting out as a home brewer you know, many of these recipes were done on a five gallon basis over and over and over again and tweaked over and over again until it was something that I felt really comfortable sharing on a much broader basis, let alone trying to sell to somebody. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's just uh, um, part of that and it's part of the process of, of really starting to it serious about the hobby. Um, I think for any home brewer listening, I would very, 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 very highly recommend entering competitions. Um, any home brewer will, you know, who's who's gotten very good uh, will say the same thing. Any book that you read about home brewing is going to say the same thing. Almost any professional brewer will. Um, one of the things that I found is that it turns out my friends and family are super nice (laughs) and they're not going to tell me when something is going to make them vomit 10 minutes later (laughs) for the wrong reasons, you know, for the wrong reasons. And so, um, I realized that I needed a little more objective feedback. You know, at the time when I started, my own palate for beer was just kind of new and all over the place. I didn't really know. I didn't have very few expectations, uh, of what I should even be looking for in a commercial beer, let alone making on my own. And, uh, you know, that is some great, great objective info uh, from people who generally know pretty well what they're talking about. Is there
1: one you're most proud of down there?
0: Uh, Either the brown ale or the uh, raspberry ale, just because the fruit beer category is a really tough one for just a straight-up regular old raspberry beer to, to do well in and uh, that one had a way of doing, doing well but yeah the, the brown ale is probably the one I'm, I'm the proudest of um, both as a as a beer that I make regularly just in general um, and I think probably on a, on
1: a technical level it's, it's one of the better ones so I know you do a lot of like you said pitchers and growlers and mm-hmm. things like that here do you have a plan to do canning or bottling at some point in time, or is that you're just not even going to go down that route? Like
0: somewhere in between, it's uh, it's a bit of an abstraction right now. Like I think it would be great to get to that point. Um, certainly, it would be great to get to that point. Uh, that point is not right now. Uh, we fly through this stuff pretty fast, and. You know, I just want to kind of see for for about a year or so. You know what it is that people around here like. What is it that, through no through no fault of my own, like which ones are we becoming known for? Uh, you know, like if you would have asked me, which beers would have been the ones that that became the flagships, right? because uh, there 's there's my idea of what the flagship is, and then there 's everyone else 's idea of what the <laughs> flagship is and uh, I, I honestly would not have thought the raspberry ale don 't get me wrong I, I, I enjoy it immensely as a beer, but um, you know i would I would have had half a dozen other of those pegged before before that one, but yeah, just to kind of see what it is that people like and what they enjoy and uh, kind of model things off of that a little you know at the end of the day, if you think about. If you think about the, the, the course of this business, since it's existed, it's existed on, on paper, you know, for, for three or four years now. Uh, but the reality is, you know, we've been open for basically eight months. You know, I don't count that first month before the fire really as, as signifying much of anything. Uh, just because, you know, we were still really getting our feet wet. Everything was um, super busy just because a new brewery had opened. Um, so we're still, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't feel like it, <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, a pretty young business still. Um, would I like to be canning? Absolutely. I think that would be super cool. Uh, would it be neat to have uh, beers on draft? I would love to, um, and that would be something that I would consider myself working towards, uh, ultimately. But, uh, yeah, not right now. Okay. It's a good question, though.
1: Hey. Uh, Just know when you get them canned, just, you know, let me know. I'll start stocking up the beer fridge at home, and uh, we'll be uh, good to go. Uh, Probably my my last question for you is Mm -hmm. how long does a beer last here? Like, I mean, like, once you finish that brewing process, it's done fermenting, how quickly? Because you were saying, you know, things go fast here. Mm -hmm. So, like, how quickly are you having to come up with something new after you get done? So uh, right now there's 16 beers on tap.
0: I think five or six of those right now are um, summer seasonals, you know, one and done. Uh, so, for example, uh, they tend to highlight much lighter flavors, a little lower in alcohol. And all of those have been going pretty fast. Um, you know, the slowest. I make sure that, that whatever is being, being sold here, you know, three months Max most beers are going to peak right around three or four months. So I want it gone. I want, you know, you want fresh beer. Mm -hmm. You absolutely want fresh beer. And, uh, so the slowest ones will be, yeah, that two and a half, three month range on the other end with the raspberry, about half the summer seasonals. Like I said, thank goodness the summer seasonals are one and dones, but, uh, the raspberry, I'm pretty much having to make a new batch every couple of weeks because if I wait much longer there won't be raspberry ale before the next one's made Um, it's a huge huge amount of of that beer in particular Um, and then below that a lot of the regulars tend to kind of cluster together Um, Zero which is sort of a New England IPA across the pond a more traditional West Coast IPA Uh, the High Desert Pale Ale, the Illinois Cum and the English Mild those all sort of kind of jockey for, for second place from time to time depending on uh, the kind of crowd we have, and I, I swear, sometimes people's mood—you um, <laughs> know—the brown ales up there too. But yeah, sometimes you just get a, one of those weird days where the most beer that you sell is the chili beer. For whatever reason, it's a great beer, but that one's definitely a, a niche—a that's uh, awesome. a niche beer. So I assume
1: you're preparing for fall beers. I am, like that. yes. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> I said that was my last question, but I got one more to follow. Let's <laughs> hit. What, what is what's coming down the pike? What's yep. coming up soon? That this will probably be out August, late August or so. So, like, what can people expect the next few months when they come come on by?
0: So probably all coming online actually in September. Let me think about this. Yeah, September. Um, I'm doing three fall seasonals, and the first one that's going to be on is an English apple ale, about 20% um, apple sugar, 80% malt sugar, a little sea salt, very full-bodied, moderate ABV, sweet. I don't know we'll find out i mean
1: <laughs> you know in, in, in theory
0: in theory it sounds it sounds good you describing yeah. it makes me just yeah wanna,
1: like yes I'll, I'll try that you know you yeah, can use taste testers you know yes we're, we're <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is something that i did um one time as a on a homebrew batch and this was for a, a fall festival here in Waterloo about three years ago and uh, it was the first keg to blow very 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 quickly and I've just actually kind of sat on that recipe ever since then, um, not really knowing quite when to do it. Um, you know, when we opened for the first time two years ago, you know, that September and October, um, I basically had one fall seasonal that I could do, and I figured that was not going to be the one. But I'm going to get to try it this time, and so far, you know, it's bubbling away just fine. Seems super happy i 'm um, really looking forward to it and it's a it 's a great beer and well, the homebrew was great <laughs> and uh <laughs> like i said i 'm just really stoked for that one i 'm also going to be doing um the pumpkin beer that we do here, which actually up until the fire was the most popular beer from when it came out onwards uh called autumn harvest and uh the base beer essentially is kind of hovers right between uh english strong ale and english barley wine uh, which is an awesome beer style for a pumpkin beer and it's got tons of pumpkin and by tons i mean not to not tons but you know about 100 pounds of pumpkin uh sweet potato molasses mm. ferments out ages on pie spice uh one of the things i might get a might get a mob after me on this one but uh I can't stand pumpkin beers. Yeah,
1: someone else. So I am a huge anti pumpkin beer fan. We did actually an episode. It was our our second second episode. And we tried six six different pumpkin beers. We tried six different pumpkin beers. And it
2: was the worst episode. Mm. Oh, it was. I thought so, it was fun. I don't mind him, but it so, was so yeah. much fun watching him just ratchet after every <laughs> so. I, yeah. and, I,
0: and, I, and I'll tell you what it is. So like I, I love. Like, you know, autumn is my favorite season by far. Absolutely by far my favorite season. Um, I kind of dig winter too, but let's go with autumn. Um, I have nothing against big pie or big pumpkin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, I think you know the, the. I think pie spices are great. I love. The idea that that many people love vegetable beers, I think that's kind of cool. Um, well, technically fruit, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, still, um, you know, I, I, I love that that, is, that that has become a thing. And, it, and actually, on sort of a broader cultural level, I think it's actually kind of cool in its own weird, quirky way that like we're all looking forward to like, everything pumpkin for about two or three weeks you know, some people that, that irritates, but I think it's kind of neat. Um, Mm -hmm. there's not that much that unites us anymore. And so, you know, it's nice that, that, that (laughs) pumpkin, pumpkin pie spice can, can serve that at least for a little while. Um, I really don't like cloves and sweet things though. And that's my problem. And so, uh, this, uh, this beer, and actually it took me kind of like what you said, a, uh, a series of, of pumpkin beers to finally isolate like what it was that I didn't like. Cause you know, you, you try a lot of these beers and they are expertly well-made, you know, for, for the brewers, it's one of the most frustrating beers to make, but they're always labors of love. You know, um, there's a lot of thought and a lot of care and a lot of awesomeness that goes into making a pumpkin beer on the brewer's end and a lot of excitement too because again it it is a it is a tough messy beer to make um and so you know i can tell you know these beers are just so so well done like why can i not do them and generally it's the the cloves that does it so my uh my little challenge to me was making a pumpkin beer for someone who doesn't like pumpkin beers like what what? How can I make this to where I'm okay drinking it? Because rule number one is if I don't like it, it doesn't show up on the board, you know. So it sounds like we're gonna be taking a trip
1: over here, yeah. again for that one too. Uh, uh, can you just start take a, two on the pumpkin a, beer episode? St. Louis to Waterloo shuttle for us. There you that go. Was, like, <laughs> yeah. <lovely>? yeah. <laughs> and you said there was a third one. What? Oh the yeah, the third. Um,
0: well, actually, just really quick on, on, on pumpkin beers. Like, actually, I tend to like. Um, and this is this is more for you because like I, I've I've kind of gotten okay with like very dark pumpkin beers. Okay. Um, lighter ones I still have a little bit of an issue with, um, but dark ones, uh, you know, there are some some pumpkin stouts and imperial stouts uh, made right over across the river in Missouri that are that are just dynamite and. I would highly recommend trying those. I'll, have to, I'll have to check
1: those out. <laughs> Sounds good.
0: The last one, actually, um, this is going to be a shout-out to a couple of the uh, homebrew clubs in St. Louis. Um, I'm doing an Oktoberfest uh, for fall, Ooh. of course, um, but with a little, a couple little, little twists to this one. Um, and a lot of what I'm doing for it uh, required expert advice, in a lot of ways, in and in, in a way that um, you know, where I was doing a lot of things that I had not done before, and uh, so I needed to bring in some help. And so um, I brought in the I brought in two members of, of two different homebrew clubs: uh, Kyle Wolf and Scott Kurtz, um, both very accomplished homebrewers in the in the St. Louis area. Uh, Kyle Wolf is the uh, founder and I, the current head of the Carboy Junkies Homebrew Club. And Scott Kurtz is involved with the Bruminati, which is okay. a great, great name for that. He, yeah, was actually, he was actually pouring his heavy ale over at um, okay. Heritage Fest. Okay. I okay. think
1: I remember having mm-hmm. that one. That one was... I th- I'm trying to remember because like, that was like right when the storm was coming, yeah. which that was crazy. That's a whole episode we could talk about. Yeah, right. Again. <laughs> um, but I remember getting that and it, just, it was so filling. Like, mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm not a big fan of that style, but mm-hmm. like... I enjoyed how good it was. So that's pretty cool.
0: And so, yeah, I brought those two in, and uh, we're kind of bouncing ideas back and forth. And this is going to be a, um, without giving too much of it away, a a maple and candied pecan Um, Oktoberfest. We spent about eight or nine hours doing all the toasting yesterday. Uh, we're going to be back at it again tomorrow for step two of that and then actually brewing it on on Wednesday. And I kind of got with, again, the, the farm maltsters uh, out in Oregon to supply all the grains for that because what they do with their, their more German-style grains is, is, is us out of this world. So, again, that's one we're going to find out, you know, see what happens there. But uh, I think it's going to be pretty fun.
2: That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it sounds like a great lineup. <laughs> So, Matt, I want to
1: say thank you for letting us come here tonight and talk with you and just hanging out and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's been such a great time um, learning about beer, learning about your passion for beer. Um, yeah, just a awesome, awesome space, <laughs> awesome place. I know Alex and I will be back probably many times. <laughs> Family's going to come with us and all that. So uh, we'll definitely be back here. Thanks so
0: much for, uh, for coming out and for setting this all up. Like I said, you do great work. Um, and I'm just glad that it worked out as well as it did on, yeah. a, on a Monday evening to, <laughs> to pull this off. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks for everything that you're doing and that you will undoubtedly continue to do because it's pretty cool.
1: So, Matt, I told you before we started recording, we have this section at the end of our podcast called Pick of the Week. It's mm-hmm. something that anything, I guess. What's the best <laughs> way to describe it, Alex? It's,
2: it literally is anything. Anything. What's yes. your favorite thing right now? Favorite thing right now? Favorite uh, thing right now.
1: So, like, I normally make the joke all the time. Probably 70% of the time, we're picking something <laughs> beer, barbecue related. And the other rest of it, it's normally something to do with Star Wars, because that's how we roll. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll do.
0: The, uh, in the spirit of that, uh, my pick of the week for the beer side would have been toasting all the pecans and maple in my apartment because my apartment still um, smells like waffles and I can't (laughs) stop smelling waffles when I leave it. So clearly something good has has happened as a result of this. And uh, from my own little bit of of Star Wars ridiculousness, I recently saw a video of someone setting a fight on a boat to uh, the duel in Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) So, <laughs> which I will share with you briefly. Yes, we will we'll
1: need that at some <laughs> point in time before then, we leave. Um,
0: it's, it's utterly ridiculous, but for whatever reason, it has completely captured my imagination at the moment. So <laughs> take it for what it's worth.
1: I saw some people doing one in a um, Target. They set a whole thing in a Target. And they I saw
0: that one. one. That was fantastic. And they <laughs> got kicked out of the Target. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, that's awesome. Alex. Uh, Pick the week.
2: Mine, I'm actually going to go back an episode or two to our Boulevard episode. Um, we were, uh, my wife and I, I'm getting my wife to try more beers like Kevin did for mm-hmm. me, passing on the spirit. And I've, I was surprised how much she liked the darker stuff. Um, I got her into stouts and porters, and so we were wanting something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and remembering what we had during our Boulevard tasting was their Bully Porter. Um, so we got that, and it, and it was funny. It's still just as good as when we tried it the first time. Got a six pack; it's gone. Um, <laughs> well, I've tried it for the first time. She's like, "Oh, it it's, tastes kind of bitter, kind of hoppy." I don't, I don't know if I really like it. I'm like, pour it in a glass, let it sit for a little bit, let it open up. And she did that. Tried it again. She's like, "Oh my gosh, I made a huge difference. This is amazing. I'm like, I learned something doing this. <laughs> I know something about beer." So that was pretty cool. That's awesome.
1: I would have to say my pick of the week is probably the St. Louis Brewers Guild Heritage Fest, And that's where actually where you and I met, Matt. Yep. Um, but met so many awesome people, drank so many amazing beers. Um, it led to so many connections. I mean, that is such, like you've said, community. That is such an amazing community that we have here in St. Louis and Southern Illinois. And just, that's so cool that to be part of that and all that. Um, Alex, for us, it means a lot more good podcasts coming out mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, <laughs> And so I, that's my pick of the week. So, Matt, how can people get connected and find out where your brewery is and all that kind of stuff if they want to come here, which they definitely need to come? <laughs> well, uh,
0: I guess well, a, lot of the, a lot of the usual means, of course, um, the website's just hopskeller.com, nice and easy. Uh, we've got a Google listing, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I'm pretty active on, on Hopskeller's Twitter. Um, also active on untapped as well.
2: Okay. And
0: uh, so if you ever get a response back, um, you know, it'll be generally from me, um, you know, so I try to manage all that as well. And so uh, any of those, any of those avenues uh, you can find us. And uh, again, like right like I said, I'm right here in downtown Waterloo, uh, just due south, of the courthouse. If you were to, um, well, if you were to head into town, You'd be right on your right it's hard to hard to miss the sign when you when you come in so uh would love to see all of you come out uh waterloo itself is is amazing and like i said don't just come just for hopskeller um you know stubborn german is a fantastic breeze one in fact you should probably get with them too i'm hoping to um, yeah they're they're a great couple to talk to um great restaurants great shops you truly could make a day out of it and as someone who is a, a pretty avid hiker uh, there's tons of hiking along the uh, Mississippi Bluffs on this side of the river as well. So if that's your, if that's your jam, uh, we
1: got that too. That's good to know because I've got a teacher I teach with. We go do a hike and then we go drink beer afterwards and mm-hmm. complain about the hike. So uh, this is <laughs> the best part in, of again, hiking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, Matt, I'm just going to say thank you. We appreciate you having us here tonight and all that um, for sharing your passion and all that. So thank you hey. very much.
2: Alex, if people want to get connected with you. Yep, I'm still on Instagram at the.alex.experiment and see what I have going on there.
1: And I am Kevin. You can find me at beer underscore bourbon underscore barbecue. Uh, You can check me out there. Um, Lots of good conversations and all that with people. Uh, We'll be posting pictures from our experience here tonight. Uh, I will definitely get one of the bar area because that is so cool. I want our our listeners to see that. But, uh, yeah. Alex, I think tonight has been fantastic. Yeah, it's been great. Um, So on that note, we hope you stay sauced on beer, bourbon, and barbecue.